Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at the first four verses. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, or by Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Let's pray. So Lord, again, we, we really desire the full anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us tonight. We look to you, Lord, as the author and finisher of our faith. We're looking unto Jesus, you tonight. We're asking that you would bless our time. I'm praying for your anointing over the things that I prepared, the things I'll be sharing. Lord, anoint our hearts to receive the word tonight. Anoint, Lord, as we have a little bit of dialogue and questions and answers and things that come to mind while we're in the scriptures. Trusting, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you're going to be speaking to us tonight and, and nudging us in different directions. And we're thankful, Lord, for the various ways that you speak to us. You are a very... A God of great variety. Look at the room, Lord, here with all of us. Each uniquely different, made in your image. And Lord, we want to know you and walk with you and really treasure the differences and the uniqueness that you've, you've placed in the body of Christ and us tonight. And Lord, particularly as you're speaking to us, please bless our time in the word, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So what strikes me tonight as I was preparing this is the fact that it says God has spoken, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And yet, this week, last week, the week before that, last month, the month before that, last year and the year before that, I can get so easily distracted. And there are so many other things that, that, that vie for my attention in what I'm hearing. How about for you guys? The voices that continued are clamoring to keep me distracted. And it's not even necessarily that they're bad things but it's not the best thing. Can you, can you amen that with me tonight? God has spoken to us, and yet so often, like Martha, who Jesus said was so distracted in serving. So tonight, that's kind of what's on my heart for us, is that we would, as we take this time on Wednesday nights, that it's just a little, a little bit of what we really need continuously on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, we need to be able to, like Jesus said about Mary, choose the better part. And that is to really sit at Jesus' feet and realize who it is that we're trying to hear from. And by the way, in Hebrews, it's not that we're trying to listen to hear. The main emphasis is that we're hearing to obey. And that is really the crux of a lot of what Hebrews is saying. Not that we're obeying to gain salvation, but we're obeying from our salvation. We're obeying because of the relationship that we have with God. And the only way that that's going to deepen is if we really are sitting at his feet and really enjoying, like Mary, be able to put aside uh, the stuff. In fact, uh, Charlotte and I are, trying to, are going to be putting our house on the market. And we, I, have, we, I built a huge house for us. We had 10 people living with, with us at the time. We don't need that anymore. We only have six now. So we're putting it on the market. And it's, it's, it's got kind of a double edge for me. 
because I like to have a lot of tools. I like having a big garage. I like having a big workbench. And as we were looking at houses to downsize to, I have a three-car garage. It's a tandem garage, and it's bigger. You can put more than three cars in it. Well, the houses they, built, they build now that we're looking at have a two-car garage, and that's about all you can get in it is two cars. And so I'm asking the Lord to help me here because I like having tools, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to be 60 Friday. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I can get so easily distracted with projects. I mean, it's crazy, like the building project. So I think the Lord crippled me my knee so I can't go over there and do stuff. That's what I think. Like, like uh, with Jacob, God crippled in his flesh so that he would be walking in the spirit. <laughs> now, do you find that? I don't know what your area of distraction is, but it is so easy for me to get going on things and slowly lose really the, 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 the strength that I've had at times in spending time and reading my Bible and praying. And it just happens. It just happens. I think there also, I see this for my own life and maybe for you too, a lack of sleep can be detrimental to really enjoying a relationship with the Lord. How many would say amen to that? And does not our, are we not a driven culture? Maybe you're not a type A or whatever, but you're, there's still this, this driving something that keeps us constantly hopping from one thing to the next. Rather than, hold on a second. So I'm wondering, Lord, would you have me to get rid of every, all these things and just have two cars? What's that song? Two cars in the garage or something? And then spend the time in doing other things for however long the Lord gives me. In relationships and hanging out. I mean, I even find it distracting. Books are distracting for me. Anybody have that, that problem? I love books. So I get this book. I must have a stack about that high of books I want to read. Any of you like that? And here's the thing. When we have undone things, and we're thinking about things, it hangs over us. That's what happens. There are things undone, and they're just there. So what we need to do is figure out, Lord, prayerfully, okay, Lord, where do you want me to file this so I can really leave it in your hands and carry on in the things that, that matter for today? That's what Jesus said. Sufficient unto the day are the problems. So don't think out ahead, but that's often what we do. So I guess for me personally, I'm praying through these things as far as my distractions and what distracts me and what, what keeps me from really entering that rest, as he talks about in Hebrews, what keeps me from enjoying some of these things without being stressed out, what keeps me from getting a really good night's sleep. There's, I think there's a book called The Tyranny of the Urgent out there, and, and, and that's what we live under. There's this urgency about everything that I don't, I don't know personally in some areas, how to get past that stuff. So tonight, as we look at Jesus, and that's what we're doing, this is his son. Jesus has spoken to us. God has spoken to us by his son. He was speaking through the prophets. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. God is a God of variety. He speaks in a variety of ways. And so for each one of us, God is speaking to us. It's capturing the voice capturing the sense of, hey, thank you, Lord, and dialoguing, communicating, fellowshipping with God on a continual basis. I thought of that, that hymn, This Is My Father's World. How many of you know that hymn? Some of you grew up with it, okay? Let me read a little bit of it. This is my father's world, and to my listening 
ears. All nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest, I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand, the wonders rock. I th- like the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows its handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no voice nor language where his voice is not heard. The psalmist there in Psalm 8 is saying, hey, God, God has, is speaking to us as we look at nature and, and just marveling at the things of God and fellowshipping with him over these things. He said, this is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white declare the maker's praise. Remember what Jesus said, and that's where they're no doubt getting this from. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't spin or toil, and yet God arrays them greater than Solomon or the birds of the air. So as we look at nature and look at these things, there's the voice of God in that, capturing the greatness of God in the simple things and the majesty of his creation. This is my father's world. He shines in all that fair, all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is is the ruler yet. See, even in difficult things and things that really are beyond us, God's still on the throne. So it's a time to acknowledge and hear again, God's on the throne. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. And it has six verses. That's not all of them. So may the Lord help us as we go through Hebrews Wednesday nights, but then to take this even daily, weekly basis, and really appreciating God speaking to us. So he says he spoke in time past. That means of old or formerly. God speaks, and we're going to see something very unique as we go through Hebrews. I think I shared this last week, but I think it's something to keep our eye on. When the author quotes the Old Testament, which he does often, in fact, as I've been reading through Hebrews quite a bit, and I'm reading through the Old Testament in my daily read, it's amazing how many things that we have in Hebrews that this author is, is quoting. As he does that, unlike the rest of the New Testament authors, he does not give us the human author. In other words, without necessarily saying God said, he attributes what's being said to either God or Christ. We'll find that in Hebrews. Either that or he attributes it to the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's a very unique book in that way. In so doing, he's emphasizing the divine authorship of the Old Testament, that God spoke in time past through the fa- to the fathers by the prophets. For the author, what Scripture says, and we know this, what Scripture says, God says. So the greatest need we have is the Scriptures, to read our Bibles and begin knowing the mind of God. It's wonderful in prayer when the Scriptures come to mind. Because when I'm praying the Scriptures, I'm praying the very perfect mind of God his truth. He says here, the audience is a specific group of Jewish believers, spoke to the fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So there's a dynamic connection between Christianity and Judaism. In other words, our Savior is Jewish. Now, there's a lot of anti-Semitism rising again. That's never come from the church. And that's in the sense that that's not what the Bible says at all about the Jews. 
The Jews are God's chosen people. His promises to Abraham will be yet fulfilled. So the Jew, we love the Jews. Amen? We love the Jewish people. God has blessed them, and he has blessed them tremendously, even right up to the present day. So he's spoken, and here's what I want to focus on, these eight things concerning his son. And by the way, let me note this. In, as it says there, he's spoken to us by his son. These are all, this whole thing of these eight things we're going to look at about Jesus are a single sentence in the Greek. Okay? It's a one big, huge sentence. It's sets, setting forth Jesus' greatness for us in eight things. And we're going to see a lot more as we go into the book of Hebrews. So this is a unified structure that's hidden in a sense. In fact, if you have an NIV, you'll notice that it's broken down into different sentences. But that's not what it is in the Greek. It's a single unified sentence unifying this, this, this our Savior, Jesus. He's, so the first thing, eight things. He has appointed heir of all things. Now, what's an heir? An heir speaks of lawful possession, and in this case, of all things. So as you look at an heir, it's a title of dignity. An heir rightfully inherits whatever the father has stipulated in his will. So what has the father stipulated to the son? He is heir of what? All things. So Jesus... The one and only Son inherits everything the Father possesses. What does the Father possess? Everything. So he begins with Jesus being the heir of all things, lawfully given to him by the Father. He is the heir of all things. He has a supreme place in the universe, and we know him. He is our Savior. It speaks of his exaltation to the highest place in heaven, after his work on earth is finished and completed. So let's start there in our fellowship with Jesus. He all, he's the heir of all things. In other words, ultimately, he's it. He's going to be receiving all things from the Father. In, in Hebrews 1.13, To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Is there anyone else in all the universe that God has said that to? None. Hebrews 2, 7 through 9. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Now, we do not yet see all things put under him, but we know that God has said all things will be put under him. And so right now we see him as a, he's a, a, a glorified in his, in, his, in his right hand of the Father, but one day all things will be put under him, under Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, therefore God also has highly exalted him, given the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus, what? Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has appointed him heir of all things. No one else is the heir of all things but our Savior Jesus. Secondly, through whom he made the world, through whom also he made the worlds. Now this speaks certainly of him as what? Creator. So when you look at everything, who created it all? Jesus. Jesus was the active in creation as creator. Now, I think this is very difficult, probably impossible for us to really understand. But that's what the Bible declares, that God created all things through him. John 1, 3, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. He is creator God who became human, savior, Jewish human being. 
1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. He is creator. Colossians, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. God made all the angels, all those that fell and rebelled, all those were created by God. And he is heir of all things. Jesus is. All things will be put under him. But more than that, more than creator, interesting in this word, the worlds, it's the ages. So when we look at Jesus as creator, he is also the one who, who holds the universe and the sum of the periods of time, including all that in is, will be manifest in them. So in other words, he is the one who is moving history forward. By faith, we understand that the worlds, the same word in Hebrews 11, the ages were framed by the word of God as, the, as that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. It has creation in there, absolutely. It also has this idea of time. Who created time? God did. The day and the night, the, the morning and evening were the first day. God created time. We cannot get out of this time dimension. We can't think outside of time. But God does. He is eternal. And so creator of the very times and of the course of the universe is what we're talking about now in Jesus. Verse number, the third one, being the brightness of his glory. That means the radiance, reflection, the outshining, which would picture the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. So Jesus radiates the light of God's glory, perfection, and majesty. This is the third thing about Jesus. Eight things about him. John, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was what? Life. And the life was the light of men. When Jesus came into the world, John 8, I am the light of the world. He who walks, follows me, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When we became born again by the Spirit of God, God's life was given to us. We were given eternal life, so now we can think outside the dimension of time. We actually understand there's something called eternity. In fact, the Bible says he's written eternity in our hearts. So as believers, we have an understanding, as limited as it might be, that there is an eternal realm where there is no time. And we will be living in eternity one day with God. I'm drawn to what Phillips Hughes, who is an Anglican New Testament scholar, still alive, observes from this verse. He says that Jesus' radiance is not so much the glory of the Son's deity shining through his humanity, okay, which we might, and I think we can understand that, but, not so much that, but the glory of God being manifested in the perfection of his manhood, completely attuned as it was to the will of the Father. Jesus said, I always do those things that please God. Can you we can't even relate to that. That Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He always did those things that pleased him. Would to God I could say that. Would to God. Isn't that not the heart's desire? The reason that's our heart's desire is because we've been born again by the Spirit of God. 
and we want to live differently. We want to live more in harmony with God's will. Well, Jesus, the glory manifested is a perfect human life lived out. That never happened before in all of God's creation. Human life. When Adam was created, what happened? He sinned. All of humanity has never known that. When Jesus came into the world, the world observed a perfect human life. Wow. That's who we're talking about here. Hebrews talks about having a merciful and faithful high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knew what temptation was. He knew what weakness was. He knew what it was to to be weary. He sat weary at the well of the the woman he met in Samaria. Jesus knew all the human things experience, yet without sin. That blows my mind. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's fabulous. Four, the express image of his person. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. When you see Jesus, you see God. Now, this is why it's so critical that we hold to that doctrine. He is not a created being. He is God incarnate. Originally, it denoted an instrument of engraving from a mark stamped on the instrument or, an, or a die. The image is that of an impression left in, a wax by, in wax by a signet ring. Can you picture that? Or like minted coins that bear the image of a sovereign or a president. So Jesus is a precise reproduction of the original. Nevertheless, even though they are the same imprint, they both exist separately. That's what we need to understand. We have the Son of God manifested. He bears the very stamp of his nature. As Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you so long a time and have you known he who has seen the Father has seen, has seen me, has seen the Father. Five, upholding all things by the word of his power. That means, again, carrying along. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is not like Atlas, okay? He's got the world, you know, he's got the whole world. You know, he's got the world up there, and, he's, and somehow, as it was, it's this dead weight that he's holding up. That's not what it's saying here. He is carrying along. He's bearing all these things to a end. He's moving them along. It's all things, the totality, nothing's excluded from God's sovereign work in his creation. So the author pictures, this is from expositors, the author pictures the son as in the first instant active in creation and then as continuing his interest in the world he loves and bearing it onwards toward its fulfillment of the divine plan. In other words, God didn't wind it up and leave it, as some would suggest. He is actively involved in it. So he's the enabling word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, here's the heart of the matter. We talked about this last week. Here's the central work that God did for sin uh, for us. He sent Jesus when he had by himself purged our sins. Jesus cleansed us from our sin through salvation. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot reach, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your sin has separated you from your God. That's what Isaiah said. So sin was the problem. We know that. God sent Jesus, and through him, he purged our sins. Now, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead work? What is the answer for sin 
It's Jesus. He had not by, with others by himself purged our sins. So again, we're looking at Jesus. We're, we're considering him. In so doing, realize again afresh tonight, hey, if I have a problem with sin, I have only one answer to that problem, and that is Jesus who purged them. After he, had, he purged my sin through the cross. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And sin is a key word in the book of Hebrews. It's a key word in the Bible. We have to keep it a key word. There are a lot of people that want to remove sin and the word sin. Remove the word repent. We can't do that. And ever be able to really appreciate who Jesus is and what he's done. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the answer. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's sitting. That's a position of rest. So when he entered in and he sat down, the work was finished. Can you hear an amen? It's done. And Hebrews is going to be addressing this whole need that we have to believe and obey from believing. That we are entering into that rest. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. But the word preached to them, that is those going behind Joshua, before that, when the, when the spies went in, the word preached to them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith by those who heard it. So they heard the word, they heard the gospel, and yet in, they refused to obey and go in, so they couldn't experience what God had already said he did for them. And that is, gave them the promised land. Same for us. We will never enter into, into that rest and appreciate what Jesus has done until we believe what he's done and then appropriate that through obedience obeying, living a life of obedience to him. And then we enter in, then we can rest from our works. We can have just a, a really dynamic, growing peace in our hearts, in my love for what Jesus has done for me. Do you know people like that? I think that we've all arrived to some degree that, but oh, to see just the peace of God and resting in the complete work of God and the finished work, it's freedom, it's power, it's victory for every one of us. So then he says, the majesty on high, that's in the heights. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, this is going to be where it's going to be taking off next week. Lowell's going to be bringing this to us, talking about the angels. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Of the angels, he says, they're all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation. The angels are not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about these wonderful beings. We're talking about the Son of God, who is so much better than the angels. He is not an angel, not a created being. He is so much better than the angels, as he has obtained, as he by inheritance has obtained a more excellent name than they. It's fantastic. So, tonight, as I think about these things, and as I would bring for us tonight, think about your, your, your own considerations when you think about Jesus. And here's some of the things that strike me. Jesus is the heir of all things, and I'm part of that. He died for me. So I'm part of that inheritance, thinking you're kidding me. No, that's true. Jesus made all things. He made me. And sometimes I say to God, you know, you made me, so I'm your problem. You brought me in, so God, okay. But he made us. Psalm 139, when I consider, he says, uh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. You know, unless we know God, 
The intellectual ascent to something like that has really no depth. Well, you were created. Okay, I believe that. But if you don't know God, you can't really say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully and marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was skillfully wrought in the lower parts of the earth. You saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book the days were fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. That's what the psalmist said. God wrote it already. I, I take great comfort in that. This is who we're talking about. I'm, I was created by him. You were created by him. Jesus is the very nature of God shining forth into your life, into my life, through salvation. Jesus is carrying everything forward to the end. That's what he's doing with my life. He purged my sins. That's what, what enables me. That's what gives to me the desire to really fellowship with God and consider. As it says in uh, Hebrews three times, Holy brethren, partake of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Just thinking on Jesus. 7-4. Now consider how great, he's talking about Melchizedek, chapter 7. Now consider how great this man, it says, was, to whom even the patriarch Abram gave a tenth of the spoils. Now he's saying that Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is a whole nother huge thing we'll be getting into in chapter 7. But he's saying, hey, consider how great this man was. And then he's talking about how great Jesus is. And then verse, 12, verse 3 of chapter 12, here's the one. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That's who we're looking at, considering Jesus. Amen? So let's, let's uh, pray a minute, and then we'll, we'll open up for a little question and answer. Lord, we're thankful for this beginning introduction, these beginning verses about who you are. Heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, had become so much better than the angels as he has by himself in obtained more excellent inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Lord, we, we worship you tonight. We give you, Lord, the place of consideration at the least and glory at the most. You are worthy, Lord. And we pray now you take our time in a little bit of dialogue and then directing us in prayer as we come to you. We love you, Lord. We want our hearts to be filled with worship and awe continuously. In Jesus' name, amen.